You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to the story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. This is Hawk Talk with Eric Huberman. I'm here with Doug Allen. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm doing the same as I'm doing every day right now, I guess. Yeah. It feels like Groundhog Day, huh? I mean, it's worse than Groundhog Day now that, where are you? I don't even know where you were. Santa Monica. Yeah. So, I mean, LA is now closing up again. So it's just, you know, COVID disappeared for two weeks. It was over yeah. and now it's back, you know, so it's just awful. Yeah. No, I keep saying, I'm really hoping this nightmare ends soon. And yeah, that was not a good Friday yeah, I afternoon. I don't, I don't see it happening. So I don't, I don't either. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're not doing anything to stop it. It's nope. a shame. But yeah, I want to dive in. You know, I am a big fan of Entourage. I watched it from season one through. And, you know, I'm always curious how someone like you, like, how'd you get into that? Like, give me the whole nascent story from like, how'd you decide you wanted to be a writer? How did that happen? My simple background, I went to Tulane. I had absolutely no connection with the entertainment industry whatsoever. I was a movie, film, comedy guy growing up. I don't mean doing it. I mean, watching it. That was what I loved, but there was no plan. And my senior year of college, I was planning on going to law school. And, you know, my dad's a lawyer, my brother's a lawyer, and just, you know, kind of following in those steps. And whatever happened in the last few weeks of college, you know, besides, I think I got rejected for most of the law schools, but I was like, I'm not, I can't do this. This is just not what I want to do with my life. So the day I graduated, college actually and in college one of my friends signed me up for an amateur stand-up night at like the local bar was it like a prank or did they actually think oh you should be doing this well you know i think both i think they thought i was funny but i also think they thought i thought i was funny because when we used to see stand-up comedians i'm very critical movies of myself as well so i get the other critics but if i see stand-up sometimes i'm like i can't stand this person (laughs) so they signed me up and i did it and i just got the bug and i told my parents i'm not going to law school i moved to la the day i graduated tulane university and started doing stand-up got a job in the Mailroom at New Line Cinema. And, you know, real simple summary story. I did a stand-up show, invited everyone from New Line to raise money for a short film. I had never, ever made a short film in my life. This is way pre-iPhones and digital films. So making even a short film was a big endeavor. So I raised money. The vice president of New Line Cinema, Mike DeLuca, who's now an Oscar-winning producer, gave me $10,000 out of his own pocket to make this short film. I made this short film that starred a, just people I met around town when I was 22, pre-friends David Schwimmer, Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters, Helen Martin from many, many movies, and Johnny Silverman. So ended up selling that to Showtime as a 10-minute short film and got into the American Film Institute. I went to AFI for a year, came out, made another short film. I got offered to direct and rewrite a movie called Fat Beach, which was a $100,000 budgeted film. I did that in about seven days over a year, and we sold it to live entertainment. They released it on 400 screens around the world. Got my agent, ultimately made a second independent movie called Kissing a Fool with David Schwimmer and Jason Lee and Bonnie Hunt and Mili Avital. We sold that to Universal Studios, and it was released on 2,200 screens. So I had made two independent movies that both kept picked How up. old were you at that point? I'm curious. Kissing a Fool came out in 96, so I guess I'm like, my, my brain doesn't work for numbers anymore. Maybe 28, 29 or something like that. Yeah. Out of college, a few motion pictures. That's great. Yep. And then Kissing a Fool came out. And, you know, I talk about this a lot because it had so much influence on entourage. But Kissing a Fool was this independent movie 
that was made for about a million dollars and released worldwide. Before that movie was released, I was offered, you can't imagine how many things I was offered and turned down. Then the movie came out and there was nobody who said it was an independent movie. It was released like it was a giant studio movie. And I think we opened up against The Wedding Singer and whatever else. Yeah. We made $2.3 million. The movie cost a million dollars to make. Nobody cared. They thought it cost $30 million to oh, yeah. make. It was like on the cover of Variety is like the reason for the downfall of the universal marketing staff. I mean, really bizarre stuff that I ultimately used in Entourage. Again, I'm proud of the movie, but whether it was good, great or not, it was an incredible, amazing achievement for all of us that were involved to take a movie, make it independently and get it released on that type of yeah. But that being said, when it came out, I'm not joking. I was literally unemployable. Everything evaporated. I could not get a job at anything. And whatever that was, 29, 30, I was married, had a house that I already bought from Hollywood earnings. All of a sudden it was like, over. So I was looking at taking the LSATs and going back to law school after <laughs> making two movies and making enough money to live a life out here. Someone convinced me to get into TV. I wrote a Curb Your Enthusiasm spec script, which means I just <laughs> sat in my house by myself and wrote my favorite show's script, which it's crazy. Like Curb is still on and I yeah. like that the script I wrote. But anyway, I gave it to my manager who represented Mark Wahlberg and was my friend from college. And he said, God, we had this idea called Entourage and, you know, you should write it. I was like, oh, you didn't think of me till I gave you this script. You know me for the last 15 years. But anyway, <laughs> that's how it happened. You need to be in front of the people at the right moment at the right time. Anyway, I didn't actually like the idea for the show. I thought it sounded kind of stupid. And he said to me, go home and figure it out. And that's where it all started. So. Awesome. Got it. And so, yeah, actually, and I asked for a bunch of questions. My friends and I literally in college used to buy a bottle of champagne on Sundays and watch Entourage just so we felt that, you know, we were all ready to move back to LA and live the life. And right. that, Where'd you go to college? Arizona. Nice. That's where yeah, my son almost went there. He was deciding between Arizona and GW, but he's going to GW, so. GW is solid. Yeah. Very different experience, but it's a good school. Sure. For sure. <laughs> but yeah, I got some questions there. So how involved was Mark along the way? I was curious in terms of like, was he hands-on with the writing? I know it was loose. No, no, he wasn't hands-on with the writing, but Mark was as good of a producer as you could have. Mark was, A, would be the guy that get us what we needed, whether it was Marty Scorsese or Tom Brady or <laughs> Mark himself. You know, he really from the beginning kind of said, you got to make Make it your own thing, obviously, and just, you know, put your best into it. And that's what I did. Mark was always just very supportive and stuff. You know, his manager, Steve Levinson, who was the one who first brought it to me with Mark, he was very hands-on and certainly in the beginning. So I had Mark's experiences through his eyes a little bit. Nice. Awesome. And on a similar note, did you guys work with WME? Was this through them? Where'd the Ari character come from? I mean, yeah. the Ari character came from, I had written for the pitch to get ready to go sell to HBO which at the time was like, you know, the only game in town if you wanted to do content that was not network. I mean, that was the place and they were doing very few stuff and very high-end stuff. So I had written my pitch is what we call it. You're going into that. And I had written Jeremy Piven, who I liked from Larry Sanders show and other things, but I had written him into the outline playing my agent, who was a guy named Jeff Jacobs at CAA at the time. Yep. And Jeff represented me and Mark and Steve Levinson were represented by Ari. So Mark wasn't at the HBO meeting, but Steve and Ari were. And the second I met Ari, I was like, okay, <laughs> this guy, I never heard of him before that, by the way. So this is 2001. But the second I met him, I said, this is a character. And then when I saw Jeremy, who had, you know, kind of transformed himself, his body and his, everything, he got into great physical shape, he kind of looked like Ari. So it was a perfect match. 
Nice. That's awesome. I mean, did Ari have, meaning Ari Emanuel, did he have a part in that at all in terms of, did you actually like sit down with them over meetings and stuff to continue to bring out that character over the course of the show? Or was no, it just- uh, No, and you know, Ari, you know, one thing I do well is I'm a good observationist and I got Ari quickly, although he thinks he's far funnier than the character I wrote, but I would hear things and I would, when I hung out with Ari, I would just take it in and he's such a great character now again the the character does more if there's a lot of the real Ari in there there's a lot of my stuff in there I mean my you know Ari's wife on the show is based on my wife my son actually plays their son and there were elements of the character that were taken from my own life but Ari Emanuel was such a great powerful forceful interesting funny guy that he immediately had to become a character so yeah no that makes sense and it's funny it sounds similar to Larry David's actually close family friends. So we spent some time with him and he's always taking notes on what's going on around him right. for those little innuendos in the show and stuff. It's yeah. just a great way to work. So next one, you know, call it Nostradamus or prophetic or whatever, but I was asked how you came up with Aquaman, Great Gatsby. You seem to know what was coming in terms of Hollywood blockbusters. And You know, I mean, Aquaman's a weird one because we thought Aquaman was supposed to be the, I would obsess over little details. And my thought on Aquaman is that that sounded like a horrible movie. And the only way it sounded like a good movie is if one person directed it. And that was James Cameron at the time, yeah. which it did. And, and this was way before superhero movies had come back into fashion. So it was really done as a joke because I needed the turn of who the hell wants to do Aquaman? Oh wait, James Cameron's Aquaman? Everyone wants to do that. Now, 15 years later, it not only sounded like a good movie, but they made a good movie and the technology had advanced to a point that they could do something like that. But that really came from that. The other ones, I mean, have all different versions of just things that I liked. Medellin was, you know, I was reading a book called Killing Pablo on a Vacation. And I was like, this would be a great movie. And allegedly, and I don't remember if I ever confirmed it, but Oliver Stone said that Ari Gold, not Ari Emanuel, but Ari Gold got him into doing the Pablo Escobar story, which I don't even remember if we ever ended up making the movie. But a lot of those things were just things that interested me and I thought sounded cool. And a lot of them were getting to, you know, work with my favorite directors, whether it was Frank Darabont or Martin Scorsese. So, you know, th- those were kind of where they came from. Nice. And so how do you feel about the movie being the capstone of all this? Were you very happy with how that came out? How did that come to be? I was very happy with how the movie came out and we tested through the roof at Warner Brothers. I think what's interesting about times that people sometimes don't see them coming, which I think right now, the movement that we have going right now, I think some people didn't realize that it was just bubbling under the surface. And I think the same thing was with the Me Too movement in 2015. I think the movie, to be honest with you, was supposed to be released a year earlier, which sounds like not that much, but I think it would have made a big difference for how it was received. Because in my opinion, the movie was exactly what the show is. And the critics loved the television show and then just killed the movie. And basically, you know, some people have sort of revised history of the show, that it was some sexist boys club, when the truth is we were nominated for an Emmy and a Golden Globe and Writers Guild every single year. But now it's, you know, which hopefully that'll ease up and things will change. But I was very happy with the movie. Of course, you want it to be more successful, both financially and critically, but it is what it is. So Yeah, I mean, as again, a fan, I saw the movie as just an elongated episode and it was great. That's all it was. But, you know, I was happy that the show was done. I thought we did our run, but everybody wanted to do the movie and... Obviously, I get paid well to do that, but I was not dying to do the movie, and I probably burned a year longer than I should have, so. Fair enough. And so, on that note, do you think anything's coming back? Do you think there will be a reunion or a second movie, or have you guys discussed anything like that? 
well, we're doing a podcast right now with Kevin yeah. Dillon, Kevin Connolly, and I. We'll plug that victory, the podcast, yeah. which is live now. And we were lucky enough to get the number one spot in TV and film in the first week with really no advertising at all from it. So yeah, it's, it's been really fun to get together with. So far, we've had, I mean, it's Kevin Connolly, Kevin Dillon, and I, but we had Jerry Ferrara on last week and Gary Busey and Larry Charles, who was one of the great producer writers early on in the show. So it's been really great getting back together and forgetting whether it's Entourage or something. It's just, you know, we like hanging out and working with each other, so we'll probably come up with something to do. Kevin Connolly and I are working on a different show together that's completely separate from Entourage. And Kevin Dillon and I have been talking about something animated for a long time, so. I was asked if you're going to do Viking Quest uh, cartoon. <laughs> I don't think it'll be anything Entourage related, <laughs> but I think we'll do something. Kevin Dillon has such a great, unique voice that I think there's a lot of characters he could play. So. Nice. And so, yeah, what else have you been working on since? Like, is it something, you know, you seem to have a lot going on up until Entourage ended and then it looks like you've taken a break or is that just under I mean, the... You know, listen, that's how, you know, that's how people view the business. But I won an Emmy for producing a 30 for 30 on the 69 <laughs> to 72 Knicks, which was called When the Garden Was Eaten, a 30 for 30. I did another documentary with a friend of mine, Eduardo Garcia. I produced a show with Spike Lee and John Ridley that it didn't end up going. I also created my own show that didn't end up going with Eddie Burns and Michael Rappaport and Michael Imperioli. I've written numbers of scripts, rewritten for things. So, you know, I've definitely been, you know, pretty consistently working for the last five years. But unless you have a hit, that's kind of how people view yeah. it. And I was going and, off for IMDb, so, I, you know. It, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. And, and also, the truth is, I wasn't that anxious to get back into the grind of yeah. being a showrunner and this and that. But right now, I'm working on two shows. I'm writing a script for Thierry Henry. It's, like, loosely inspired by his life. He's a famous footballer, and he's from France. So I'm working on that, and then I'm working on something else, as I said, with Kevin Connolly. So, <laughs> you know, and the podcast is taking up some time since we're not really allowed out of our house right now. Yeah, no, and I think, I mean, that's why we're here right now, too. Yep. Finally, I'm, I'm usually on the road half the time, and I'm finally grounded enough to sit down and record some stuff, so it's good. Right. And so the other side of this is I've also noticed you're somewhat of a food expert. So I'd love yeah, to know I'm an expert. I definitely I like know, it. <laughs> you seem to nail some pretty good spots, so yeah. would love to know, like, top five favorite spots in L.A., or give some advice on that side. Favorite spots. Yes. Medeo. Yep. John and Vinny's. I'm just trying to think where I go all the time. Din Tai Fung, Justa. Yep. And I get Harold and Bell's, which is great Cajun food. I'm, I went to school in New Orleans, and that place is amazing on French John Jefferson. Uh -huh. And where am I getting cookies? The luscious cookies and Dr. Shika brownies. <laughs> what else? There's so many good places. It's now to look at when I got to L.A. in 1990 yep. and how the restaurant scene has changed. But those are kind of like my go-to spots. Yeah, I've got a lot of chef friends that they all moved to New York because they're like, there is no food scene in LA. And now it's like the new, up, finally, it's the up and coming like, yeah. place you want to be. It's, it's great. So last question for me is, you know, what is next? What are you aspiring for now? You've done something, frankly, so iconic in your life. Like, what would be exciting to you down the line? To be honest with you, I, you know, the podcast, which I really am doing for yeah. fun, but it was something that I wanted to do my whole life, which was a radio show or a talk show. So I'm just finding myself in this, but I find it much more enjoyable than sitting in my room by myself and writing. So I'm hoping that works. And the idea for this podcast is for it to be far more than just entourage and hopefully be an entertaining half hour, 45 minutes with your buddies. So I feel good about that. And then, as I said, I've got two scripts that if the world ever gets right, we're working on and hopefully we'll get into production. But, you know, we'll see whether I want to run another show or not for eight years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I don't know. But 
you know, just like everybody else, trying to survive right now. Appreciate it, man. Well, thank you for yep. being here. You got it. All right. Talk soon. Good talk to you. Take care. Hawk Media is your outsourced CMO and marketing team. We'll dive into your business for free. Identify opportunities in your marketing strategy. Then get you teamed up with individual experts, all month-to-month and a la carte. Whether you're looking for a Facebook advertiser, a web designer, or a fractional CMO, we can help you drive growth for your business. We've successfully grown over 2,500 brands, and we're here to help you too. No matter your goal, we've got you covered. To learn more, visit hawkmedia.com. That's hawk with an E, media.com. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.